Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We have the real joy of looking at something really incredible in the Gospel of Luke this evening. An answer to the question, what brings God joy? An answer to that question will bring us right to the heart of God's thoughts and love for humanity. And the three parables in Luke 15 will give us a chance to ask ourselves, do we share the heart of God? As God's God's people, do we share his concerns? Because when we know what God wants from his people, we need to ask if we're on board or not. Do we find ourselves close to him are far from sharing his heart. Well, I think that Luke 15 is a passage that might be very familiar to a lot of us. It's probably one of the best-known parts of the entire Bible, in fact. And I think the problem with that is that we become so familiar with something like this that we forget how it fits into the gospel, that we forget what it has to tell us. So let's refresh ourselves. We're in the middle of Luke's gospel. Luke has recorded this, that people may hear about Jesus, that they may have certainty over what happened when he was on earth and who he was. We're about halfway through Luke's account at this point, and he's recorded eyewitness testimony of the events that we see. Where we join Jesus... He's been traveling from Galilee south to Jerusalem, and as he travels, huge crowds of thousands of people are flocking to him to hear this man who is healing people and teaching people, to hear about what he is saying to these people that is making them come from miles around. But every time he stops to teach people, the religious leaders of Israel are there too, And every time they're antagonistic and much of his teaching ends up coming in response to their accusations and disagreements with him. The key for us to really understand Luke 15 then is to really understand who he's giving these parables to. Now, if you look at the first three verses with me, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So picture the scene. People are flocking to Jesus from all around. 
coming to him to be healed, to hear his teaching. And they're getting right up close to him. They want to hear every word this man says. But by comparison, the religious leaders are just standing a bit further off. Yes, they're there, but they want to stand apart. And they're grumbling about what he's doing. You can imagine, can't you? Who, who is this? This is no holy man. Because he would not be with these people. He would not be with those tax collectors, those sinners. How can he be with these people? Well, verse 3 says this parable is directed to them, to those hearts. It's not directed to the crowds drawing near to him, although they will definitely hear this, but to the grumbling Pharisees. The question for us then is, what does Jesus have to say to these religious people? What is his message for those who claim to be the people of God? Now, there are three parables in Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And noticeable by its absence, we won't be covering that third parable today, but next week. Because in this first and second parable, we find really incredible things about the heart of God. So I'm going to look at that. Um, If you look on your service sheets, you'll find two headings. First, do you seek out the lost? And secondly, do you rejoice when they are found? Each question will compare the concerns of God with the concerns of those who claim to be his people. So that first question then, do you seek out the lost? Do God's people act like the God that they serve? Well, let's just get into those two parables. First, we have a shepherd. He's out there counting his sheep and finding that one sheep has wandered off. The shepherd goes off in search of it. You might question the shepherd's decision here, though. If you have 99 of a sheep, why go in search of this one? Why does that matter? But clearly, to the shepherd, even one sheep gone astray from his flock is of great value. And after searching high and low, the shepherd eventually finds the sheep, lifts it up over his shoulders, and lovingly carries it home. And then he celebrates finding the sheep with his friends. In the second story, we have a woman who loses a coin in her house. It's dark, so she has to light a lamp and does some serious searching. And we might ask that same question again. Why, if you have nine other coins, is it such an issue to find this last coin? But actually, this coin is again of such great value that she will sweep and search diligently until she has found it. And just like the shepherd, she will celebrate in its finding. Now, these are two simple stories, so not complicated or hard to understand. But we can often miss their implications, I think. Something of immense value to the owner is sought out. Note that in both of these parables, a thing that was sought out couldn't seek itself. A sheep that has wandered off, as sheep often do, are not particularly intelligent creatures, isn't going to come back to the shepherd. It has no inclination whatsoever to pick itself up and wander back. The coin isn't able to shout to the woman and say, here I am, come find me, I'm just here. No, it can't do that. Both of these things need a seeker to search out what was lost. What Jesus tells us at the end of each parable, though, is that he is talking about God's search for the lost. 
the lost people are at the heart of all three parables in Luke 15. And the thing that's important for us to do then is to define lostness in the same way that the Bible does. Now, I think there's two ideas to this. I think there's the conventionally lost people, those who would understand themselves to be far from God. They know this. They wouldn't count themselves as one of the religious people or anything like the kind of person that God would want. But what this parable is going to get at is that there is a second group of lost people, the respectable religious people who think that they are close to God, but they're not listening to him. And in their hearts, they are just as far away and as lost as these other people. You see, there are those who know that they are lost and those who have no idea whatsoever. What we find in these parables, though, is that God is the wonderful seeker. The sheep and the coin both need to be sought out and found. And in the same way, God treasures and values the lost. He is searching them out. And this is something that is vital to God's character. If he was impatient, well, no one would have any hope. But this is the character of God right from the start of the Bible. If you were to go back to Genesis 3, you would see that Adam and Eve sin against God, and out of shame they hide from him. So what does God do? Does he, knowing exactly where they are, just uncover them immediately and send them straight away? Well, no. We have to understand that at that point, he was within his right to give up on Adam and Eve. But instead, we find in Genesis 3 verse 9, the Lord called to Adam and Eve, and he said to them, where are you? God has been seeking out the lost from the very beginning. This is vital to his character. Wonderfully, though, we see this most perfectly in Jesus. He's the one telling this parable, surrounded by crowds of lost people. And later in Luke 19, he will say, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost of himself. And that's why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is saying to those who have walked away, God wants you back. Yes, you've treated him badly, but come home. He wants you back with him. God doesn't just shut out the lost. He goes out to find them. Now, here is a God who is attractive to sinners. One who searches them out that he may freely forgive and that they may come back to him, to know him, to become his children. It's with that wonderful picture of God, though, that Jesus then makes such a stark contrast with the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is concerned for the lost, so he's out there with them, teaching them, bringing them into the kingdom. The Pharisees, however, have no concern for the outsiders at all. They've become introspective and self-seeking. They haven't got any care for those outside of their community. God's people seem to be nothing like the God that they worship. They seem to share none of his heart. You see, the religious leaders were supposed to be like shepherds to God's people, to be God's hands and his feet, sharing his word with Israel, being a blessing to them, and through that, that Israel might be a blessing to the nation around them. What we see, however, in most of the Bible is an Israel very far from this ideal, with leaders that have led them very far away indeed. 
And I think the first parable will be ringing in the ears of the Pharisees at this point because this idea would be uncomfortably familiar to them. The picture of the shepherd looks back to a prophecy in Ezekiel where the religious leaders of Israel are called out on their conduct. So if you turn back with me to Ezekiel chapter 34, starting at verse 4, which is on page 722 of the Church Bibles. <clears throat> this is the central judgment God makes on the leaders of Israel. Starting at verse 4, it says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day are no better than the leaders of Ezekiel's day. Do they share the concern for the lost that God has? Well, clearly they don't. And what we'll see in even greater detail in next week's parable of the lost sons is just how lost these people are, how far from God they are, and how much they need to be brought back as well. How thankful then are we that Jesus is describing a God who isn't like this, a God who lovingly searches out the lost, now, maybe you're listening to this, and you're all too aware that you are lost. You have walked away from God, even purposefully so. And you have run away, and you have rebelled, and you think, would he ever take me back? I've gone so far. Could he ever have me back in his family? Well, this parable's wonderful news for you. Not only does he want you back, but he's actively searching you out. This is where we see what God is like. He diligently searches until he finds. Like the shepherd lovingly carrying home the sheep on his shoulders, so is God bringing home those who've walked away from him. And isn't this picture of God wonderfully attractive? No wonder crowds of tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to Jesus. It's just wonderful to know that there is none too bad, none too far None too broken or sinful that God cannot search them out. And that's what he continues to do right now through his word. He is drawing people back to him and forgiving them freely. This is God searching for you as he speaks through his word and draws your hearts toward him. So keep listening. Come back. Would we ever have imagined God to be this good, graciously seeking those far from him? The joy for us is there is even more to this, though. We get a further insight into the heart of God in these parables. Not only is God the one who seeks the lost, but he's the one who rejoices when they are found. <clears throat> I wonder what the happiest you've ever been to find something is. Some searches end up going on for years, so much so that all hope of what was lost seems to be gone. But it's often from those searches that the most joy is found. 
My, uh, my mum was saying to me earlier that one time I ran off in M&S when I was very little and that it was absolutely terrifying on every single level and she couldn't have been more worried. But maybe there's more serious searches than that. Maybe think about you lose a wedding ring, something of real value. How diligently you search for that and how painful it is until it is found. But the joy at retrieving that thing that was lost. Or think about when someone's on a hiking expedition and they get lost in the mountain in a storm. The longer they're lost, the less and less hope there is of finding them alive. But how incredible the relief and the joy felt by the close and loved ones when they are found and brought safely home. Well, what we see in both parables um, is not just the shepherd and the woman searching diligently, but rejoicing at finding what was lost. Both seekers are characterized by the joy that they have and how they celebrate with others. The woman and the shepherd both go home, bring their friends together and have a party to celebrate finding what was lost. And Jesus says that in both of these parables, that represents the joy in heaven when a sinner repents. Here is a God who rejoices over the repentance of the lost. Isn't that wonderfully surprising? God isn't dour and stern with sinners when they repent. He doesn't say, well, you have been very bad indeed, and by the skin of your teeth, you're back, but I'm not pleased. No, he's nothing like that. God rejoices over people turning back to him on every sinner who turns in humble repentance to him, brings him joy. There's even a party in heaven. Notice verse 10. I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God's joy is before the angels. It's not their joy. They're sharing in God's joy over those who have come back to him. And here is the very heart of God. A God who joyfully receives the repentant back to him, who lovingly forgives. If we ever feel like God begrudges us our forgiveness, if we ever feel like he's just not impressed with coming back again and again, we'll come to this passage. He is seeking you and rejoices when you repent and come back to him. He loves his people turning back and finding him again. But look at verse 7. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And what's that about? Because we know from the rest of the Bible that there isn't a single person who needs no repentance. So what is Jesus saying? Well, remember who this parable is being told to. The Pharisees and the scribes think that they are all right with God, think that they are in the religious club and that they have no repenting to do. They're fine. They've got their sacrifices. They know what they're doing. Uh, They don't need to repent anymore. And how huge a contrast that is then with a crowd in front of Jesus who know that they're far from God and want to hear this man who might change things. The Pharisees are standing off, separated and grumbling. The Pharisees think that they are in there with God and above the sinners, but the knife edge of the teaching in this passage And something that we see in even greater detail in the parable of the lost sons is that these Pharisees are just as far from God as the sinners crowding around Jesus. They are lost too. 
And what a contrast it is between a joyfully searching God who gets his hands dirty in the lives of lost people and the separated, grumbling community of believers who seem to share none of the heart of God. Well, I think these parables give us two things to consider. First, that all of us are lost. And secondly, a question. Do we share the heart of God? That first point then, all of us are lost. Every one of us needs to be sought out and found by God. And there isn't a single one of us here who needs no repentance. For some of you, you might really want to resist that idea. You think, I'm fine. There's no way I need a God to come and search for me. What could that possibly do? But think about these parables. Jesus is saying that people who don't know God are lost. Not as a feeling, but as a fact. It's clear that they need to come back to him. That Jesus thinks that people who don't know God are lost and need to come back to him. So ask that question. Do you know God? Because if you don't, you are lost and you need to come to him. Alternatively, you may know very well that you are lost. You may feel the real pain of that. And as I said before, God is seeking and searching you out. He knows you and he wants to bring you closer to him and he wants to receive you back with joy. So don't just let the message of these parables wash over you. It is God's joy when sinners return to him. For those of us who are Christians, these parables must make us ask a second question, though. Not just, are we lost? Because we know we need to repent. But do we share the heart of God? The fact that these parables are told to the Pharisees makes it clear that there is more than one way to be lost. The Pharisees and the scribes come off in quite an unattractive way in all the parables in Luke 15 because they've turned into a self-righteous, holy huddle focused in on themselves. And the question we need to ask ourselves then is, are we any different to the Pharisees at this point? Do we share God's heart for the lost or are we just as lost as they were? Do we consider those outside of the church to be of huge importance and value? Or, like the Pharisees, do we claim to be God's people while sharing none of his heart? So maybe you've been in church your whole life, your conduct entirely morally respectable. You're at every meeting consistent in your Bible reading and prayer, but deep down, you have no heart for those outside of the church. Now be very clear. These parables say that you are lost too. Your life may look fine, you may be doing the right Christian things, and you're comfortable. But you stopped listening to God, and you're in the dangerous position of thinking that you are fine when you share none of God's heart. We need to ask ourselves a question about that. Is that what I'm actually like? Ask yourself the question, are you concerned for the lost? Are your hearts burdened for those who don't know Jesus? Or have you become callous to them? Do we want people outside of the church to hear about Jesus? Or are we just happy in our holy huddle? How do we react when someone incredibly different to us comes through those doors 
Do we welcome and embrace, or do we avoid and stand off to one side and grumble that they're even here? If we are God's people, do we share the heart of God, or are we lost too? Well, take a look at your heart. Is it more like Jesus or the Pharisees? Do you grumble at the mission that God works through his church, or do you take real joy in that? Because God's heart is supposed to be displayed through us, going out and sharing his love and his gospel with other people. God's primary concern is not for the comfort of the people in this church, but the salvation of those outside of it. And this should stand as a stark warning for us. If we find ourselves of little care for those outside of this church, then we need to really take seriously this parable. We need to repent of our lack of love and come back to God because we are lost too. What might that look like for us here at Chalmers? Where do our hearts lie? Well, I think a helpful example for us is how you view the gospel project. It takes a lot of time and energy for us to all learn Mark together, to study it well enough that we might explain it to others. It takes real boldness to keep asking those questions, even a thick skin to invite for the ninth time or to try and start that conversation up again when you've been rejected. And it may make us very uncomfortable indeed, but this is us reaching out to the lost. This is how we can share the heart of God. The Gospel Project is just a tool but it's one that helps us get on board with God's mission. This might take us to unfamiliar places, to those who are very different from us, who really need Jesus. Who might that be? Well, classically, it could be drug addicts and prostitutes, those on the streets, those whom, to be honest, are probably only too aware that they're far from God. They need to hear this message. But, It might take us to other people. How about that person in your work who's heavily antagonistic to Christianity? He wants none of your gospel, and he is not afraid to say it. How about that friend who makes a mess of their family life constantly? One who just can't seem to get it right. What about them? How about even the members of our own families who've rejected Jesus for a long time, and you just think they will never listen? Well, if we share the heart of God, then those people are our priority. We must make this church a welcoming place for those who are far off, who are very different to us, who don't know who God is, that they may hear the gospel, be sought out, and come to know God. So ask yourself, are the lost a priority for you? Does searching out the lost come before your own comfort, your own job, your own relationships, even your own success? Are the lost at the heart of our prayers, or are they just a secondary concern? And we must keep asking ourselves those questions. But finally, I think there's probably some of you sitting here who are Christians who once were lost and have joyfully been found. You've repented and you've come to God. But you know your tendency to wander all the time. You want to have a joyful heart to the lost, but it's just hard. Getting shot down again and again is tough. Well, let me encourage you. 
That puts you in the right place in this parable. You're the person who's sharing the heart of God because you're looking for the lost. And yes, it is tough, it is frustrating, and it is hard. But in the midst of this, we have such an opportunity for joy on two different levels. One, because we get to share closer the heart of the God that we worship if we're out there looking for the lost. And two, because nobody is more passionately concerned for the people in your life who don't know God than God himself. He is the one in these parables searching out the lost. He cares about them more than you do. No matter how much you love them, he loves them more and wants them to know him. So maybe what some of us need to hear is, yes, it's hard, but keep at it. This is an opportunity for our joy Keep searching out the lost and enjoying being on mission with God as he passionately seeks out the lost. It's an incredible joy when a friend comes to faith in Jesus. And it's something that we should be asking that God would give to this church, people who don't know him, to come in and share fellowship with us. And how wonderful is it to know that God passionately cares about your lost family and friends. This is a God worth worshipping, a God whose heart seeks, saves the lost, and rejoices in their finding, and loves the repentance of his people. So that is the first two parables of Luke 15. Next week, Alistair will give us a view into that last parable, and we'll see even deeper the heart of God for the lost. For now, let's pray that God would change our hearts to be more like his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a searching God who seeks out the lost, that you rejoice when the repentant come to you. And we ask this evening that you would be seeking out the lost through us. Father, for any of those here who don't know you, we ask that you would give them ears to hear you, that you would break into their hearts, and that they would come to know you personally. Father, for those of us who have wandered and continue to wander, Lord, bring us back. Remind us that repentance is a joyful thing, and that you receive us gladly. We ask that we would grow in our heart for the lost, and have joy in that search. We ask that you would be our guide as we seek to boldly proclaim your gospel and take up the opportunities we have. And Father, we ask that you would give us the joy of seeing people come to faith, that we'll be able to share the joy that you have over the repentance of the lost. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.